Hi folks, I'm Lindsay Ray, otherwise known as UK Bid Writer. SMEs need to approach tendering for public or private sector commercial contracts in a different way to larger organisations. To really stand out from the competition and show off what makes your business the best choice for that contract, you need a specialist in SME tendering. In each episode of the UK Bid Writer podcast, I'll give you practical and effective, tried and tested information and advice on bid writing and bid management to help you win more tenders. Today, I'm going to talk you through the anatomy of an SQ, which is one of the most common documents you'll come across while tendering. So SQ stands for Selection Questionnaire, but it's also sometimes known as an SSQ, the Standard Selection Questionnaire, because us procurement people do love an acronym and why not confuse things just for the fun of it? Its main purpose is to pre-qualify each bidder through a series of self-certification questions so that any potential suppliers who don't meet the most basic requirements for the tender can be eliminated from the process quickly with no real effort required by the contracting organisation. And when it's sitting there in front of you, it can look quite daunting, but in fact the SQ is a pretty standard document. The vast majority of questions are the same from SQ to SQ, with a few exceptions, and I'll talk about those in a minute. And most involve information about your company that isn't going to change regularly or radically. So once you've completed one SQ for one bid, you can use that as a crib sheet for others you come across in the future. But before we get into all that, why do we have standard selection questionnaires in the first place? I'm sure you'd love to know. Let's go back in time briefly to when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was a fledgling bid writer, trawling through a paper-based catalogue of European tenders with a highlighter and a stack of post-it notes. Way back then, online portals for tenders didn't exist, can you believe it? And many tenders required literal reams of paper, several copies of each submission to be couriered all over the place just in time for the deadline. At some point, Bright Spark came up with the idea of a PQQ, that's a pre-qualification questionnaire, which would help to sort the wheat from the chaff and reduce the burden not just on the unfortunate tender assessors who had to wade through all these submissions, but also on the company's bidding, especially SMEs. A PQQ was, and in some cases still is, a first stage qualifying process, where you give minimal but really quite relevant information about your company, how you worked, and your most basic plan for delivering the contract. And if you pass that, you'd be through to the next stage, the ITT, or invitation to tender. Now, like a lot of things tender-related, PQQs originated mostly within the construction industry and they had solid, industry-specific reasons for creating it the way that they did. But it was then hijacked by almost every other sector and industry, and to be fair, it actually worked pretty well for a good while, eventually becoming a formalised standard document enshrined in common procurement practices. Unfortunately, every different sector needed something just slightly different, and over time, the little tweaks individual contracting authorities made often meant adding more convoluted questions, ultimately pretty much rendering the second ITT stage almost pointless, and once again, putting a huge burden on bidders, particularly SMEs, to provide huge amounts of information and documentary evidence before they could even get past the first gate. A little aside here for those of you who come into contact with a document called the PAS 91. This is essentially the bigger, better version of that original PQQ and it continues to be used by the construction industry where more stringent health and safety and other rules apply. Anyway, after all this commotion about three or four years ago, the delightful SQ or SSQ was born or raised from the dead. Who knows? There are no new ideas under the sun after all and certainly not in procurement. 
The SQ now aims to do what everyone wanted the original PQQ to do in the first place. It also works to align UK procurement practices with those of the EU, but uh, let's leave that particular sleeping dog in peace for a little while longer, shall we? And it also includes some new, somewhat modular stuff on a variety of areas, which can be used or not used depending on the contract. Sometimes it still counts as a pre-stage, but that's becoming rarer. Most commonly, the SQ can be found within the main response document, along with the rest of the invitation to tender. The current SQ does have its own limitations and irritating quirks. If we were truly a digital society here in the UK, we'd fill in one SQ on one supplier portal and only ever update it when our company information changed. And in fact, most of our portals do have this facility, but for some reason, bidders are still forced to fill out an SQ almost every time anyway. As it goes, until we catch up with some of our continental neighbours, we seem to get an SQ in every tender, and each one is just that little bit different to the next. It seems those modular elements are just too irresistible. So, while you can copy and paste a good chunk of it bit by bit, I wouldn't recommend copying one SQ from one tender directly into another tender wholesale without checking through it first. So, enough of the history lesson, let's have a word from our sponsor. Maybe you just want to get that urgent tender done and out of the door. Maybe you want your staff to gain the skills to find and bid for contracts as part of their own roles. Head over to my website at ukbidwriter.com forward slash services to find out more and get in touch today. Together, we can discover what your business needs most to win more contracts. Well, she sounded like someone who knows what she's doing. Righto, here is the anatomy of an SQ. Part one is supplier details. This is the most basic stuff, company name, registration numbers, addresses, contact details, trading status, any licenses you required by law to hold and so on. You will also be required to add in details of persons with significant control. That's who owns the company and who's down as director or company secretary. And if you're at all unsure of the exact details for that, including who holds what percentage of shares and so on, you can get that info from the company's house website. But in a shining example of government departmental harmony, the information on the company's house website is in a completely different order to how it's laid out on the SQ. So do bear that in mind. Anyway, this section is pretty straightforward. The only complexity, and that's still fairly minor, will be if you are not bidding as a prime contractor. For example, if you don't intend to deliver 100% of the products or services yourself. If you're bidding as part of a group, a consortium, or as a lead contractor where the work will be significantly or wholly carried out by subcontractors, this section is where you'll need to declare that and give some information on the structure of that operation. And it's also highly likely that your other partners and subcontractors will each need to fill out an individual SQ as well. Next comes part two, exclusion grounds, and this is generally in two sections, grounds for mandatory exclusion, and grounds for discretionary exclusion. Both are a set of self-certifying yes-no questions. If you answer no to any questions in the mandatory section, essentially you are out of the game. That's it. These questions deal with conspiracy, bribery, fraud, theft, criminal conduct, all of the really bad stuff. But if you answer no to any questions in the discretionary section, you may need to add some explanation and further evidence. But depending on the question and the explanation, you may still pass go. These questions deal with contract violations, involvement in the procurement procedure you're responding to, proven past performance issues and conflicts of interest. So while ideally you'd want to answer no to all of these two, it may or may not be a deal breaker if you do have to answer yes to one or more. 
In part three, selection questions, it gets first into your economic and financial standing. Most frequently, you'll be asked if you're able to provide either a copy of your last two years audited accounts, or sometimes they ask for three, or some other form of proof, such as a statement of turnover, profit and loss, a cash flow forecast, plus a letter from the bank, or some other means of demonstrating financial status. Now, at this point, there may also be a minimum threshold of financial liquidity you need to meet. That could be a minimum annual turnover, how much liquid cash you have, in, have access to in your own funds, or guaranteed by a parent company or such like. And the reason for this is not just to ensure that you're big enough to carry out the work, but that you're a good financial bet for the contracting organisation. They want to know that you're not likely to pull the plug on your business mid-contract and leave them in the lurch. And this is particularly necessary and valid when the contract deliverables have a direct impact on people's day-to-day -day lives, like social care and health, community transport and so on. Anyway, regardless of the reason, it's well worth scanning through and looking for this type of question before you even think about going for any tender at all, as it may put you out of the running completely. So don't leave it until your friendly neighbourhood bid writer points it out after they've written half your bid. Another element of this section that you do want to look at specifically, and not just copy and paste from last time, is the technical and professional ability question. Usually this requires three examples of recent, relevant and similar contracts you've undertaken in the past three or five years. And for these examples, you want to make sure that they are up to date, the details and figures are accurate, and that they really do reflect at least something of the current tender that you're going for. If you're making a bit of a sideways move and your examples aren't completely like for like in terms of service delivery, try to choose contracts you've done that have at least some element of similarity, like the type of authority or region or possibly even contract value. Now, if you don't have three examples at all from the last five years, you can add in an explanation of that, why that is. Maybe you're a new startup, maybe you have provided these services commercially but not under a contract. SQs do generally have a dedicated space for you to add that information in. And this is another way authorities are aiming to be more inclusive of smaller businesses. So if this applies to you, use it for what it is, which is a good opportunity to be in the running for that all-important first contract. Next, you may also be asked about any subcontractors you intend to use. If you don't plan on using any, you can just say so. If you might, but you're not sure who it will be yet, explain that, but also go into some further detail of how you will select them and manage their performance on the contract. Now we're back to some less involved questions, such as your insurance levels and so on. Um, but I have noticed that quite a few SQs ask for insane amounts of insurance cover for some of the smaller contracts, and some ask for specific types of cover that aren't actually appropriate for that contract at all. And like anything with tenders, if you are at all unsure, always ask for more information through the clarification process because that's what it's there for. And it's pretty likely the contracting authority just copied and pasted the SQ template themselves without checking and their actual requirements might be completely different. So it is worth asking the question. I've had insurance levels changed on many occasions because of this. These days, you are also likely to be asked about your GDPR systems and processes and you may be asked about your plans for local employment or apprenticeship opportunities, social value, your IT systems and more. Once you've got through all that, you'll be on to the next load of questions, often called the quality questions or the technical response. And this is the in-depth stuff about how you'll deliver the contract that isn't part of the SQ. I'll tackle how to understand and answer those in the next episode, so do remember to subscribe through your preferred podcast provider so you don't miss out. So that's the anatomy of an SQ, or SSQ, which has largely replaced the PQQ in terms of getting you nearer to the ITT. Although it sounds like a lot, once you've done one SQ, you should be able to bash them out pretty swiftly after that. 
certainly less than an hour in most cases, and always assuming that the SQ doesn't eventually become as bloated as the ill-fated PQQ did. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the UK Bid Writer podcast. Make sure to visit my website at ukbidwriter.com forward slash pod and subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a trip. If you enjoyed this episode, it'd be great if you could give it a rating on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to your podcast, or just tell a friend or a colleague and spread the word. Don't forget, you can also contact me directly to talk about what your business needs most to win more contracts by emailing me at lindsay at ukbidwriter.com or to find me on the usual social channels, just search for UK Bidwriter. You've been listening to Lindsay Ray, otherwise known as UK Bidwriter, offering specialist expertise for UK SMEs. See you next time.